right, welcome to the Edgy Pierce Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of uh, going one-on-one with Jim Vanderputin. Please tell me I pronounced your name correctly. Uh, I pronounce it Vanderputin, but uh, my Dutch father-in-law tells me that I don't even get it right, so... (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry too much about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. All right. So, so you're quite the firecracker on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) And there's a lot of passion that comes from, from, from uh, the things that you tweet. Uh, Where does all this passion come from? Uh, It came from my own experiences. I guess it's when my eyes were opened about what's going on in public schools. Um, My son and I mean, you could say it began in kindergarten, really, um, as I discovered more information about, you know, dug up more records and got more information with the school. I discovered that, you know, his issues were beginning even in kindergarten. He has ADHD, uh, learning disabilities. Um, He's also been identified but not diagnosed as autism. That's the difference between the way the public school identifies you and uh, like a professional psychiatrist. Uh, would uh, diagnose and give you the the, the medical label versus or the psychiatric label versus the the school label. Um, but you know he has he has a, a lot of different things going on. He's also an incredibly bright child. So on paper he looks like well above average, and so he wasn't you know considered uh, someone who was eligible for special education uh, or any supports and services. Um, and in 2016, the school had me come in and they said, you know, we, we think he's got ADHD. We think there's a problem. I said, hey, test him. And they say, well, we can't because he's got good grades. And I didn't know back then, but that's incorrect. That's that's not uh, Wait, the IDA law so, says. So, that so she, let's, yeah. let's, let's clarify, because I, I, I want to because I know people that are listening to this, they may be in a similar situation. And mm-hmm. so you're saying that you went to get your son tested. And they said that because he has good grades, they could not test him. That's what the school said. That's what the school said. Yeah. And that's, and that's a very. T- right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can talk to lawyers. You know, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not a person you get legal advice from. But you can talk to education lawyers, read their blogs, read the Rights Law blog. And there's an article in the Rights Law, uh, Rights Law blog about this. Um, to qualify for special education or 504 services, the child's disabilities, so they have a confirmed disability that's on the list in the IDEA, uh, IDEA law, sorry, uh, uh, specifies you know the list of, of disabilities that are recognized as qualifying disabilities. Uh, so you, you must suspect the disability and you must uh, see that that disability uh, affects the child's ability to access the curriculum you know, in, in a way that would be uh, equal to uh, non-disabled peers. My, it was pretty clear that my son was someone who was not accessing the education. You know, they, he had to leave the room frequently, take a walk, you know, uh, he was very stubborn. He'd get, you know, <laughs> refused to do work and things like that, which was his way of telling us, you know, behavior is communication. The child was telling us that um, there was something about uh, you know, reading, writing, and these tasks that he was struggling with. Um, so, how, so, how long how long in the process did it take for you guys to kind of to 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 notice the fact that something was different that was happening with your kid? Like he was just behaving differently than the child that you sent to school. Yeah, uh, and it was really. I mean, in kindergarten, they say you know he's 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 um 
he's a handful and I knew he was, but they also said, well, you know, we did a little chart or we did this and that he seems to be fine. So they would just keep telling me, you know, these little things they were doing, which I thought was really just something the teacher was proposing. I'm like, sure, go ahead. I didn't know that he was in something called RTI at the time, response to intervention, which is also a part of IDEA law. Um, and that he would be in it for five years before they would even consider him. Wait, so, so, so I'm sorry, clarification. Mm -hmm. uh, you said he was in response to intervention starting in what grade? Kindergarten. Starting in kindergarten? And I didn't know. And I did not know. And later on, when I did a records request, and I, they haven't given me all his records even to this day, but I got enough of the records to find all the old documentation showing that he was in that program since kindergarten. And there was even a spot on the phone that said this, the parent must sign here before you can, you know, proceed with this. Wait, that, and, that, and that's, that's, and that's, that's, why, that's why I interrupted you because I'm, I'm sitting and I'm thinking to myself just like, you know, from being a, a, a school leader, I mean, in order for a kid to go into a uh, response to intervention yep. um, level, you have to first contact the parent to let the parent know, you know, what's what's going on with this kid. And, and, and yeah. I don't that that was that didn't seem right. But, so right. They called me, but they didn't tell me what this program was. I didn't even know what response to intervention was. I didn't know anything about this stuff. Right? I was just your typical parent. I sent my kid off to school. Um. Then, so they would just Wait, call me. Up. I'm uh, let's just stick on this for a second because I know uh -huh. a lot of parents that are listening to this right now. Uh, they kind of do the same things that you did. They, mm -hmm. they they're on this blind trust thing, in mm -hmm. terms of you know what I, my parents just sent me to school, uh, and so I'm just gonna send my kid to school. So let's talk about why you shouldn't do that. But finish. I want you to finish your story first. Yeah. But just just hold that. Yes, um, an absolutely valid point too. Uh, yeah, so I had that blind trust. And uh, what, what I got was just calls from the teacher saying, oh, you know, he's, he refused to do some work. It was, it was not a lot of phone calls. It was, I could probably count in one hand how many times per year they'd call me. He, you know, he's been a little more, you know, resistant to working lately, et cetera. So, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to do a little chart with him with stickers and stuff like that. And, do you, do you mind, Mrs. Vanderputten, if we do that? Oh, no problem. Sure. You know, I figured this is just some, an everyday kind of thing that a teacher does on their own, right? You know, what I didn't know is there was a much more complex framework in the background that they were applying with him that I didn't know about. That was the RTI. I just thought he had some charts, you know, the kind of thing that uh, many children, you know, might have uh, in the process of growing up and learning how, you know, behavioral. Right. I mean, best practices when you when you think when you talk about the things that you were describing, really good teachers do that. Right. And then right. also when, when you when you think about best practices, um, you know, it, it, it's it's like every kid in a class has an IEP. Right. Uh, every kid in a class right. has an individual learning program and the teacher knows exactly how to push every student. That's how you know when you have a really good teacher. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so the blind trust part. Right. So mm -hmm. like, when did you gain sight? I think it started in 2016. I started getting the feeling something wasn't quite right. Um, and it, it actually built on something I'd experienced with my older son where, you know, he was having some problems. He was also ADHD. Uh, and around third grade, he was having some issues. Um, they again, they refused to test him, but they were also calling me all the time and saying it's a problem. We think he has ADHD. So 
me not knowing that I had to even had a right to ask for testing at that time, just went out and got them tested myself. I paid for it. And, uh, and it's, it's a few thousand dollars. Uh, some insurance will pay for all but the educational parts so that can be around 800 if you get everything else paid for. At the time I was working, I was earning enough money. It was like, I was like, you know, this is worth it. This is for my son. So I did it. And um, they diagnosed a writing disability with a like right on the edge of ADHD. So check back later, see if, you know, if he goes up or down on the scale. Okay. So I brought it to the school and I look back now and I can see the looks on their faces was panic, but I didn't realize it at the time, you know, cause they, I think they realized she went out and got tested. We could get in trouble. <laughs> you know? right. Cause that's, that's what's called a child fine violation. It was their responsibility to do child fine. And I had gone and done it for them when I wasn't supposed to have to, but I didn't know that. And they were happy to let me stay ignorant about that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm, 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 thinking, I'm thinking about, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about everything that you're saying right now. And I'm thinking about all of the parents that don't have the type of agency that you have that mm -hmm. that would allow for you to go out and get your kid tested or whatever. Like, what right. about all these kids that are just not tested right now that are sitting in these failure mills with their brains yeah. being murdered every day? Um, yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. I feel so. I, I, oh, my heart aches for them. That is why I didn't stop when I got you. Know, I have the solution. My son's fine. He's going to be fine. But I couldn't stop. I couldn't just go to bed and be like, fine, I got got my you know, situation all set. Uh, no, no. I All I can think about at night is, what about all those kids who can't get this far? You know, what about all those kids who can't get a resolution and they're languishing? And, you know, suicide, suicidal feelings and suicidal attempts are a very strong risk with, with these situations, any child, whether they're disabled or in another marginalized category, and they are being neglected. It's a form of neglect. Absolutely. Um, Listen, if you, so, you know, I, I can't, I can't speak from, I can't, I can't speak to that per se, but I have seen kids that have struggled immensely uh, in K to 12 education that uh, start to hate themselves, that yeah. start to, 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 uh, to act on their impulses um, and, and you know, it, it just becomes a real, you know, a real problem uh, for those mm -hmm. kids and for those families. All those things can be avoided if schools just do their jobs. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, starting in 2016, you know, so I at that time I had actually lost my job and I was worried about money. Um, I didn't take him out and get tested. Um, I just did my best, you know, with getting him some exercise, good diet, you know, following the doctor's orders, all that kind of stuff. But he did continue to decline. Um, and in 2017, wait. So before you get to 2017, I, I just yeah. want to I want to I want to touch on that because I, I see that a lot. You you'll see a, a ADHD diagnosis, and then you'll see like homeopathic cures for ADHD, mm -hmm. and like you know, mm -hmm. it, it starts with the diet, it starts with this, it starts with that. But when all else fails, like what do you what do you what are your suggestions to parents? So like when you, you start these new diets. Uh, I had mm -hmm. a parent that was like rubbing oil on her kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't I was, know. I was going for, you know, diet and exercise, which has been shown to improve focus concentration. So when you get a kid who's, you know, it's a, it's a spectrum, right? ADHD, ADHD is a spectrum. You can have a kid who has some, some mild symptoms and that don't necessarily need to be managed with uh, psychiatric medications. 
um, and can even be managed with you know, an increase in exercise uh, and a change in diet. But there's an awful lot of kids who, you know, you have to go another step further than that. You do need the medications. And then you're talking how much medications. Well, yeah, the doctors will figure that out with you. So I'd say, you know, don't wait too long. Um, it's it's never a bad thing. And, and doctors have told me this, never a bad thing to try um, the lifestyle changes first. Um, but don't let the child languish too long before considering getting the medications because they really can uh, improve the quality of life uh, for the individual. And it did for my son. Um, he had, while he was in the public school, we were actually on a lot more medications before I finally pulled him out. And he's actually dropped a lot of those medications. Um, and we're looking at potentially reducing one of them right now because the change of environment uh, so, has, has, so I, has helped him so much. You know, I don't miss the opportunity to get at the traditional public schools. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what 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 was occurring in, in in that traditional space that had you that had your son feeling like you know this this wasn't for him? I think there's a lot that I still don't know about. I will tell you about what I do know about. Um, in fourth grade, for example. Uh, that's, you know, they started calling me a lot in fourth grade. Uh, I was coming in frequently. And I came in one day and the teacher was, you know, telling, you know, you, you've got to go to the room. They got to go to the cozy room or whatever they called it. And I was like, oh, yeah, they told me about the cozy corner, but I thought it was like a corner of the classroom. And my son was sitting there balled up, you know, knees to his chin at his desk, rocking back and forth and saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I said, honey, well, let's, why don't you show me where the room is? Show me the room, you know, and I'll, I'll go there with you. And he couldn't even do it. He's like, I can't, you know, he couldn't unfold his body. He was in such a panic attack. Um, so I just, I looked, I said, I'll carry you, honey. And, you know, at first he was like, okay. And then I think he, he got a little bit embarrassed with his friends. And so, you know, he, he, he uh, managed to get to his feet and he took me to the room. We got the room and it was a supply closet a tiny windowless supply closet and he sat down in the little desk and he said, I hate this room, you know, and it broke my heart. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. And I'm, I'm glad that you're sharing this story because a lot of people, they don't, because they haven't gone into the schools to be able to see this first person. They don't really believe it. Right. And yeah. Some of them yeah. that are even hearing your story, they may not even believe you. They may think you're making it up. Right. But yeah. I know this to be true because I've, I've, I've seen it. Right. And I've yeah. seen the after effects and the, the hard, uh, just, uh, it's just, it's just really bad. For PTSD. Me. It gives these children PTSD. It's seclusion and restraint. It's overused. It's, there's an argument that it should never be used. I, I, I think there's a good argument because there's a lot of research right now and a lot of programs around that show us how to handle behavior in a way that is, um, uh, humane to the child and actually, more uh creates extra meaningful changes and growth in the child um that you don't get with uh, frankly violence i mean you know telling someone to go sit in a little closet that terrifies them it's it's, it's an emotional psychological violence and it, it leaves those scars um i don't think a parent would be allowed to get away with that i think if cps visited and saw that i don't think they'd be very happy about it <laughs> Um, but it happens a lot in our public schools. It happens in private schools too, but I focus on public schools because my experience 
has been the public schools where my child was hurt and the particular private school that I found. Uh, it's a nonprofit started by an educator mom with a, with a child with autism. But my experience then has been good, but people have had the experience where the private schools that their children uh, went into were the ones who did it too. So, I mean, but I, IDEA and all my fights around that are specific to public school. So I want to be fair. Uh, it does happen. And it happens in charter schools. It happens in private schools. It happens in parochial schools. It happens in all schools. Like you, you're going to get those spaces to where education is just bad for kids and people are just bad for kids. So it does happen everywhere. But I seem to hear more stories yielding on the side of traditional public schools. And it would make sense because they have the majority of the students. So 92% of the students nationwide attend traditional public schools. So it makes sense for it to happen more there. Um, So you may, so school, you're a school choice advocate. Why? Well, I, you know, at first I was just out there to fight these IDA violations and how little enforced it was. And I sort of tripped across school choice advocates and, and then, uh, you know, back in my head, I remember that my son's psychiatrist toward the end before I pulled him out, the psychiatrist was was one the one who actually helped me figure out what was really going on because the school was definitely hiding a lot from, from me. And one day the psychiatrist just looked at me and said, I don't want him to walk through the front doors again. I'm very concerned about what will happen if he does. And Jen, you're an educated woman, homeschool him, even if it's a stopgap, find somewhere else for him to be. And she recommended a local charter school. Um, it, there's a big waiting list and there's always like thousands entering the lottery and very few getting spots. Uh, so we didn't, you know, we didn't get that spot, but let's stop there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because you said that there's a, a waiting list for this school. Right? So if there's a waiting list for that school, what does that indicate to you? I think that indicates that it's in high demand and people want to go there. Yeah. And then the people who do go there don't tend to leave. (laughs) I know know people who sent their children there who had kids with ADHD or other learning disabilities that just were not working in public school. Um, One of them is the older brother of my oldest son's friends. (laughs) I'm a bit confusing there with that. Um, But I mean, I know the child and he went from angry and disgruntled to happy and feeling like he had a future. And I couldn't ignore that. Because I, I, at the time that I was talking about taking uh, my son out, uh, this other mom, because she and I are also friends, our kids are friends, you know, we're, we talk. And she's like, oh, you should check out the blah, 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 charter school. I'm like, that's the one my psychiatrist recommended or my son's psychiatrist recommended. And she's like, it's been great for us, our son. I'm like, I didn't even know your son was going there because I didn't, you know, I didn't know her older son as much as the younger ones who hung out, who hung out with my older son. And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's total difference. And so, you know, it, it, it just comes down to a school is good or a school is bad. Right. And, and, and so, you know, just to make, make myself clear here, uh, there are some traditional public schools that are amazing. Right. Yeah. And, and my son attends one of them. Uh, Cinema Riches High School uh, right down the street is an amazing school. Probably not for him, but for the other people that go to it. Uh, I could see, you know, yeah. why, why it's amazing. So, you know, there's there's no uh, slight towards traditional public schools that are out doing what they need to do. 
the focus more so is on all schools that are not doing what they need to do. And I think yeah. that is really important for us to uh, for, for us to uh, separate ourselves from that, because, you know, I don't want people. Yeah, I mean, I get I get called anti-public school and I'm not. And, you know, I'm I'm a lifelong Democrat who is, you know, been just you could put me in that little square box easily up until what happened to my son. I mean, because you know, in 2017, he went down, he, he, he suffered so much. I had to, I think it was early 2017. I'm trying to remember now if that's uh, when he had his psychiatric crisis uh, because they had waited too long. Um, and they were trying to rush it really fast at the last minute. And literally as I signed, like days after I signed the piece of paper that said, oh, you know, where they finally offered the testing, uh, within just a few days of me signing that piece of paper, he had a massive psychiatric break. And I, you know, I had to take him out of school, uh, medical, you know, like medical leave uh, is the closest thing. They don't have a psychiatric leave. He just goes under medical leave. Try to find a pediatric psychiatrist, which usually takes months. Um, I got lucky and found one. It only took a week or two for me to get in to see one. Um, but then it went downhill from there, as far as getting him supports and services, it was kind of too late for the kind of testing they were talking about. The, you know, I, I got him evaluated by a psychiatrist. It's a different, you know, that's not like the educational kind of testing like they do. That's, that's pretty, that's a lot uh, on a kid uh, going in and doing that battery of tests, uh, uh, psychoeducational tests. Um, and the, his psychiatrist is, you know, we had just found the psychiatrist and his psychiatrist said, you know, he needs, we need to wait a few months before we can test or, or the results will be unreliable because of the crisis he's in. He's not in a state of mind for us to get reliable results from the test. Well, school didn't like that at all. They were very angry with that. And they, I told him, I said, let's, I, I've got to, I, I want, I have to rescind, you know, what we signed before, but let's do this in summer when the psychiatrist wants to do it. And they didn't like that at all. And I think that's kind of when things really went downhill because, uh, you know, to me, it felt like retaliation because then they, they started putting him on what they call modified or partial days where they, they won't let your kid come in all day. They just like, they let him come in for about three hours a day and made him go home instead of having a full day, but they didn't give him a 504 or IAP. So that, that to me, I, I'm, I'm going to say it. I mean, I know, you know, but that sounds criminal. Uh, I think somebody said it in the comments as well. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so, so what, what were your next steps beyond that? Yeah. Um, again, I still was fairly ignorant of, of the long process and they had not provided me with, you know, that booklet that says, here are your rights under special education law. Um, they, well, I, they, they think they did at the testing thing or did they not? They may have what the thing where I signed the testing, they, but I don't No, I don't think it was until a meeting later that I got the full book. I think I got like the, like a couple pieces of paper, but I, I just, I did not understand my rights. And sometimes even when you read that book, you still don't understand what it really means. It's kind of complicated. And I just kept advocating for, you know, when is he going to return to full time? How are we going to get him to return to full time? And since we actually do have a valid diagnosis that qualifies him for 504 or IEP, 
why aren't we just going ahead on that? You know, because he had a diagnosis, a psychiatric diagnosis. And they said, well, we can't give him an IEP until we do our own testing, which is also not true. They are allowed to reject uh, outside evaluations, but their hands are not tied. They're also allowed to accept them. And you have a child who can't even be in the classroom or they're not allowing in the classroom. But the they're also not allowing, you know, they had everything they needed to justify an IEP. So, Nobody so, would have come down hard on them. So they're 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 seeing they're seeing your child struggle. They're seeing everything that that's and and first of all, they they know if you're a professional, you yes. know, right? Those and, things and that you've seen. Point at which he revealed he was suicidal. Right, and so yeah. at that point, you do what's right for the kid. Right. Yeah. You don't you don't you know, there's no CYOB at that point. Yeah. You already messed up. It's time for you to do yep. what's right for the kid. So then mm -hmm. how does the story continue? Like, what, what, where did you go from there? Um, yeah. So I think it was two or three months after that. I think that was in February. That all happened March, April, May. Yeah, it was around May. Three months later. And I'm like, when is this kid ever going to be back in school full time? And he, he wasn't making any progress just being at home half the day. And I was do, basically homeschooling him the other half the day because of my fear of him falling behind. Um, and I said, you know, I went to the headquarters. So I was, went up the chain. You know, you do, okay. I'd already been talking to the school, to the principal plenty. I said, okay, I'll go to to the, the, the central offices, superintendents, or, you know, whoever I get uh, in between the principal and superintendent. And I did talk to somebody who, uh, I think it was somebody who was in charge of uh, 504 uh, or special ed or, or something, um, that umbrella had a, both of those under an umbrella, but it was somebody who was involved with these kind of, you know, services and accommodations. And I talked to her, and it seemed like she was on my side. She's like, oh, well, let's, you know, let's check on this and see if this is legal or not. I'm like, oh, and she's like, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I have a champion here on my side. And then that was the last I ever heard from her. And um, yeah, so then again, not hearing anything from anybody, I went out and I got a lawyer. This is when um, I got a lawyer. Hey, and somebody's in the comments saying, you know, she said like, Five comments back, lawyer. Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 yeah. Remi it reminds me. It reminds me of like it reminds me of when you when you go when if if, if you are so uh, unfortunate to have to uh, be involved with law enforcement and then you go in and they're like they read you your Miranda rights. Your first thing you say is lawyer. Like I, you don't. I don't want to talk to you. I want a lawyer because like I don't. A lot of times I say that because a lot of times. Parents don't really understand the special education uh, jargon, right? They don't understand the, the languaging and like all the different acronyms and like they change so much and or whatever. So like if you went and you did a poll to a parent and you were like, hey, what does this mean? What does idea mean? What does idea mm -hmm. mean? They're going to pretty much tell you that like, I don't know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. So if they don't know what it means, then it, it, it's hard pressed to say that they probably can't advocate for their kids the way that their kids need to be advocated for. So mm -hmm. what? So you you asked for a lawyer. Uh, this is getting juicy. Well, what happened? <laughs> you have to pay for your own. This is civil litigation, not criminal. So you don't get one afforded to you. And this is part of how public schools, any school that's dealing with this, but when it comes to disabled kids, they're not actually protected under the law 
outside of public schools. And I say that we're protected very loosely because it has to be enforced to be a real protection. And this is where we start to find out in my story how that enforcement didn't really happen very well. Uh, but, you know, you have to pay for your own lawyer. And even the cheapest of ones are very expensive and the ones that are free are too hard to find. And, you know, at, at that time, I did have enough wherewithal to at least have one for a little while. Um, but I will share with people, it cost me $15,000 just to get them to give him an IEP. Wait. Yeah. So I want to make sure that I, I want to make sure that. So, so 50, 50, so first of all, right. If it cost, if $15,000 is about, I would say is approximately what the per pupil is. So. That's insane. And I'm so it sorry is. that that happened to you. It and I'm is. so sorry that that was, happened to your son. It, is, it was purely egotism. There was like, if they had just said, let's wipe the board clean. You know, if they had ill feelings from anything that had happened, you know, disagreements we had. Because there's one thing that I noticed is they didn't like it if you ever disagreed with them. And so that that there's a part of IDEA that says parent is supposed to have meaningful input. But that tends to end when you disagree uh, at the table, the IEP table. Um, they get very offended, at least in my school they did. They got very offended and I'm like, I'm not here. I would even say, I am not here to offend you. I am not, you know, denigrating you. But, but that, that goes back to my argument that I have every week on the Eight Black Hands is that parents are the experts of their, ch their children, mm -hmm. right? And yep. so, you know, as an educator, you may be the expert of what happens in the classroom. You may have uh, some extreme knowledge of the content uh, or whatever and how to deliver that content. But when it comes down to my child, like I know what's going to what's going to work for my child. So therefore, mm -hmm. if I'm at an IEP meeting, I should be able to give you input on what's going to be in the best interest of my child. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As a matter of fact, at my school, we have pre meetings with parents. Right. So that we're on the same page. So then when we go to have the IEP meeting with the district, the district knows that we're going to advocate for whatever that parent wants. And that is the way it should be. The school should be your advocate. You shouldn't have to hire an advocate to go against the school. The school should be right by the parent's side as an advocate for that child. And, you know, I, I, I just feel like the, the ego, you know, got in the way and all they could see was you know, I was a troublesome parent. Um, I think part of it too, was they realized too late that they'd really messed up. And I think they were going into defensive mode too. Uh, but going into that defensive mode is what led to me getting a lawyer. You know, it, if they had done the right thing as, you know, instead of punishing my child and me, for their failure, which is what happened. I mean, they were suspending him and sending him home and, you know, it, and all those things just made the problem worse. Um, there is, I even brought the, there was a department, the U.S. Department of Education, uh, dear colleague letter that talks about discipline and what they call exclusionary disciplinary removals. So that can just be calling a parent and saying, take them home. You know, it's too rad. We can't handle them right now. Uh, to, you know, to suspensions in school or out of school. Yeah, you know, or just to sticking them in another room like that, that supply closet. 
every time you do that, you are denying that child that educational access, the access to the curriculum. They're getting more behind. Um, and children who are having trouble with, with school and who figure out, you know, how that, oh, if I just misbehave like a little bit more, throw my pencil on the floor or whatever, they'll send me into this room. I don't have to do this work that's so hard and that I don't like and that I'm struggling with, you know? And so this is where we get back to that behavior is communication. Three brilliant words um, that my son's current school uh, taught me. Um, if you remember nothing else, behavior is communication. The child is not misbehaving. They don't get up in the morning and say, I'm just gonna be a bad today because that's awesome. You know, no, they're struggling with something. They're trying to tell us something. They are not um, able I, to well, well, explain. Well, time out. <laughs> There's a small percentage. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> there is a small percentage. They get up that morning and say, I'm copping a two today. <laughs> but they but they mean well. And once you once you get to know them on the on the, on the inside, they are, are amazing and they're gonna do everything they can in order to, to show you uh that they, they can excel. Um yeah. But, but you know what? But then that's another kind of communication, isn't it? Because they're probably telling you that nobody's ever looked at them as a human with great potential before. So they've shut down on themselves and they're like, the attitude is all I have left, uh, you know? And I see that a lot. I see a lot of kids turn around when somebody, uh, you know, it, it could be either like the kids feeling really bad about themselves and they show it by, you know, those self-destructive behaviors like being suicidal um, and, you know, and then you get the kids who act out more and then there's kids who do a bit of both, right? Um, but they're all screaming, you know, at some point they realized that, you know, that these environments or people they were encountering the society was not treating them as though they they had value or you know they would look at somebody else who's being treated as they, they have value while they're not and you know how can a kid not internalize that you've got to treat all children like they have all that great value that great potential so so transition um so all of this stuff happened to you Right. And thank you so much for for giving me the background information on why you fight so hard for kids. Uh, so all this happened to you and your son pre-COVID. Yes. What do you think is happening to kids with special needs during COVID? Yeah. Um, been following a lot of families. I am lucky to be. I am years later now. Right. Um, we, we suffered some more, I think, in 2018 is when I took him out and placed him. Uh, in Hope Creek Academy, and uh, things have just been going up since then for us. I also fought a battle, a legal battle. We could probably do a whole entire podcast just podcast just on that, and especially North Carolina's weird system, uh, which is unique. But um, here we are, two years after that, and he's in just a completely 180 degree different place. And so, you know, him being on the computer at home. He's doing fine. He'd do better, I think, in the classroom, but he's he's fine. Um, he also doesn't need the kind of services like he doesn't need occupational therapy, doesn't need um, uh, speech therapy or anything like that. And as soon as, you know, as soon as we realized this was going to be like longer than maybe a month or something like that, I instantly started thinking about the kids who need the, the really critical services and who just cannot move forward, make make you know experience growth or make progress without a person being in the room and helping them and then 
the parents who are able to do that, great. But what about the parents who can't? What are the parents who are just thinking about how to pay the bills because they can't even get to work because there's nobody to take care of their kid or their work requires them to be there or whatever. There's, you know, there's, there's people probably in some profoundly dire situations, you know, um, not being, you know, just, they're just trying to survive and their, their child is slipping behind and behind. And the schools immediately launched, like within months, um, I saw unions and public school machines start to advocate for IDEA, for IEPs to be relaxed or not enforced during COVID. And I was like, oh boy, <laughs> here we go, you know? That doesn't sound good at all. So, mm-hmm. so, so before we, before we transition, I, I want you, I want to give you the floor and I want you to give parents that may be facing uh, a similar uh, situation as, as you face, what are, are, are three to four uh, things that you would, you would tell them? Yeah. Um, connect with other parents. Um, there are several organizations. I'm not endorsing any one particular or another, um, COPAA, Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, uh, is very cheap. Um, and you can probably get a, a, a free account. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they're like, you can sign up for a free account, but I think it's like, you know, like if you, if you're in need, but I think it's only something like 50 bucks a year or something like that for a parent to join. There's uh, a day in our shoes on Facebook. Um, these, these are, you know, they have a front page, but then they have the page that's private, uh, only for like parents, um, COPA is only parents, attorneys and advocates. A day in our shoes will also allow teachers in who are, who have kids, um, uh, in the situation, but COPA does not allow anybody involved, um, in the public education system in because they want the parents to be able to speak freely with attorneys, um, and you know, start talking to other parents uh, who've been through the same thing. Uh, get your information from the parents and the advocates out there and the attorneys. As a COPA, you can go and ask questions, and advocates and attorneys will answer you uh, when you you know when you're a member. Uh, there's private boards there, so and they, and they are protected. Um, and you can get you know you're going to get the truth about like is what my school telling me true? My problem was I believed them. And they lied a lot to me over and over and over again. And probably, you know, if I knew what I knew now, I would have known the right way to push back. I would have known to begin complaints processes earlier, uh, state complaints and things like that. Uh, Getting that evidence. Don't be afraid. Write things down. Don't be afraid to demand that they put their assertions in writing so that you have that later to present so they can't lie and gaslight you. Um, and yeah, don't be afraid to ask those questions. They, they will make you feel a little afraid when, when it's one of the bad, you know, schools that their goal is to push you out basically to make your life miserable, to deny you supports and services and hope that you'll just go somewhere else. Right. And, uh, you gotta fight that. It's an important, um, comment. Did they lie or, or did they just not know? They lied. <laughs> yeah. And I found that out when I, I did get enough records to find out a lot of the lies. And uh, well, like one of the lies was the IDA. They, a lot of schools do this. They know. 
they know they know how that law works well enough. They don't know the way, you know, lawyers and judges who are in the courtroom arguing the finer points know. But they know enough that they know they should have tested him back in 2016. They know that could have avoided a lot of things. They they knew that they had all they needed when I brought the psychiatrist's uh, um, uh, diagnosis to them. They knew that was all they needed. So you know? what, they, what they are, had what that are, and then all their own evidence, right, for all the trouble he was having. What, what are, one, of the, one of the things that I want to say is that, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of these schools or a lot of these districts, they have child study teams. And so it's it's as simple as scheduling that kid in order to get scheduling a kid in order to get them tested. And so, you know, when you have a child study team on campus and you still don't want to set a kid up for, for for testing and you're like, oh, well, you know, you got outside testing and you did this and you did that. All I have to do is write you a letter demanding that my kid gets tested in right. most districts. Right. That's how you start the process. You start the process. Right. By, yeah. And make sure you do it in writing yeah. and, and that they respond in writing um, because they will try to get away with a lot by just saying it and then saying later they didn't say that. Um, you know, they don't let them do things outside of the proper meetings. They made me sign some extra things at some point. They quartered me and, you know, it, they had me in a particular spot. Um, I really wanted my son to be able to come in and take part in something that he had his heart set on. And they got me to sign something before they'd let me go see him do this, you know, this little play or whatever that he had his little heart set on. And uh, it was it was something that was is absolutely supposed to be done in a proper IEP meeting, scheduled, properly called. You know, there's a lot of that documentation. You 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 request the meeting, you document that, you document, you know, the parent agrees, you you document that. And they just cordoned me in a hallway you know, got me to sign something. And it was just, you know, you're, you are, by the time I was, you know, at the point where they were actually shoving papers in front of my face and offering things, my son was in psychiatric crisis and I, I was having to lock up all our knives and all our medication to make sure, you know, and, and we had to watch him because he had talked about running out in front of, of cars of the bus, uh, you know, just to, to get killed by a car. Um, you know, so I was, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I was like so hypervigilant, you know, and it was, I was not in the right frame of mind. So don't be afraid to let, you know, you're allowed to bring whoever you want to an IEP meeting. So bring that friend whose head is still level and clear <laughs> and, and who can help you and who will remember all the things because their head's not buzzing with all that worry like yours is. Um, also, don't be afraid to look up what kind of systems, grants, and things like that that your that your, that your state has. Um, North Carolina, which is where I live, has what's called the NC Disability Grants. I believe it's a, technically a voucher program. Um, it is a targeted voucher program, and specifically for kids with disabilities. Um, it's very limited, and far more people apply than get it. And I wish they would add more money to it. Um, there's actually three. There's one that's based on need, but the other two are anybody can get it. You just have to qualify. You have to have a kid who, who has an IEP in the system. Um, if, they're if they're denying you that identification, there's other things you can do. But uh, it's for the one main grant, it's 8000 And for uh, there's an additional grant that's another 9000 but you have to, you're waiving your right to free appropriate public education. You're, you're basically saying you're not going to sue 
Uh, you're not going to go to due process. It only counts for while your child is receiving those funds. I was in the middle of a due process case with them. I, you know, I was already in for, you know, in for a penny and for a pound. I was, I was in deep enough. I didn't want to just abandon it. I wish I'd known about those programs earlier because as soon as, you know, things started getting really difficult, I could have just, I could have just taken them out. I could have just said, just let's get that, you know, that deck three, that's the IEP identification thing that says, you know, you qualify. Uh, I could just fought for just that and say, you know, whatever, get that piece of paper and then go and, and get those grants and get out um, or do whatever I have to, if they wouldn't give me that paper. Cause you know, like I said, I had to spend the money to get that paper, but um, there's other ways you can get the documentation if that school is refusing to properly uh, identify a child. Um, there's other ways. Uh, you know, it was so clear, so clear that he needed significant supports and services. And it was mostly emotional. He has a he has some processing speed issues, and that's the cause of most of his just you know disability issues. But for the most part, it was it was the emotional part, and I think that was the emotional part was really mostly from having the 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 disability the, the uh, learning disability part ignored for so long um it's just it's just spiraled out of control so it, i could have gotten him out a lot sooner and and i also could have you know potentially been for a few years in a row trying to get that lottery too for that uh, charter school so you don't be afraid to look at the charter school options at the choice options at the voucher options that you have you'd be surprised i didn't find out about the disability grant till i was actually in uh, the private school, Hope Creek Academy, they're like, you know, hey, do you have this? I was like, no. Um, and I think it was still in time for me to um, to apply for it. And I applied and I got it. Um, I was in a, a year where I was very lucky that uh, new applicants, uh, a lot of new applicants got in. So there weren't many people rejected. Uh, it's, it's, this is when I think I really started realizing the value of choice. <laughs> yeah, you know, some, sometimes... Sometimes it takes uh, sometimes it takes our own personal experiences in order mm -hmm. for us to see what other folks are going through. But I want you to know this, and I I'm very thankful that you're sharing this story. I know it's going to get out there, and even if it touches one person, then mm -hmm. we did our job. Um, yes. But there's a lot of folks that are uh, in historically disenfranchised communities yes. or whatever, marginalized folks that don't mm -hmm. or won't ever like I said earlier, have the agency to be able to go out and advocate for themselves um, or advocate for their kids. And so what, what, what's your advice for them, for those, for those folks that are in uh, inner city uh, communities with, with, uh, you know, schools that don't really care for them, don't really care mm -hmm. about them, don't, or not educating their kids or whatever. And that are very standoffish to them when they come and they try to advocate for their kids. What's going to be your, advice for them? Oh, that's a tough one because, you know, that is so outside my lived experience. Um, I grew up a little bit of everywhere, but my school life was, you know, pretty uneventful for me personally. Um, my experience with my son is very particular to disabilities. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely have an issue, the redlining, the, you know, the, the zip code problem. Um, I mean, yeah, so so let's bring let's, someone let's, with you. I don't know if bringing that friend again is the yeah. right thing to do. Does that make sense? Because I feel like we're more powerful together. 
perhaps, but I I agree. Um, I think that we are more powerful together, and uh, so, some of our some some of the issues that that you expressed align with with some of the issues that. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it's particular to disabilities and the IDEA law protects us and there's no, I've often said, I feel like there should be a law for the, you know, the historically disenfranchised because that is, it's, it is equal or even greater uh, impact what has, you know, what has happened with, you know, the whole history and where we are today and where we still are because it's, you know, it's still happening. We still have that basic discrimination, even in my district here. This is an affluent, like, blue dot, you know, very progressive district. But if you look at the ESSA numbers, it's very clear that the historically disenfranchised groups are still disenfranchised, even in this better, better uh, district. And I think it just More comes down to the attitude of the educators. Absolutely. And, and, and so <laughs> I would venture to say that, oh, <laughs> you know what the attitude is. I mean, the attitude is, yeah. you know, you're not my kid, so I don't have to worry about you. You know, and then, you know, school, public schools. So so people always say they're like, oh, well, you know, we want charter schools to have more accountability. Well, here's accountability for you. Right. If I have three straight years of bad test scores and the district outperforms me, then I'm going to get a pink slip. And it's going yeah. to tell me that if in two years I don't improve my test scores, they're going to shut my school down. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas yep. if you're in a traditional public school, you can yep. fail folks for generations. You hear me? Yeah. Generations. And you're still going to get the opportunity. They might threaten your Title I funding. Mm -hmm. They may threaten some other kind of funding. But at the end of the day, you're still going to be able to go in there and kill kids' minds. Yeah. So. Yeah. And well, and it's, I mean, let's face it. It is the way they view that child. And that person's internal biases. And they look at a child and... If they if their bias says I'm just going to see that child as less, that's what happens. You know that child they create a self fulfilling prophecy against that child. Uh, they expect less. They don't do as much for the kid. They discipline them more disproportionately, which, as we talked about before, those exclusionary moments are lost education opportunities. Um, yeah, yeah, like wake up. Exactly, uh, we're powerful together. And I mean, if, if that's what it takes is that self-determination in, in these areas that you're talking about um, and parents getting together and do it for themselves, I'll, I'll be right there by their side and tell me where to show up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> love that. love that energy. So qu qu question, uh, Ms. DeVos, mm -hmm. uh, she scaled um, back a lot of things. Uh, what's so your thoughts on her I didn't team? actually notice that because... No. The problems I had were the same as I had in the past before DeVos. Um, mind you, my experience is not everyone's experience. What she scaled back on may have been uh, some uh, supports and services that my child specifically didn't need. Um, but the problem that I experienced has been there for a long time. Um, and a lot of public schools are uh, not happy about having to take disabled kids and how, you know, and they, it's all these things about testing and things like that in their scores and how it looks or having to, you know, uh, deal with behavior issues. And, you know, instead of finding better ways to deal with it, they just want to, you know, find that cookie cutter thing that, you know, that, that works on that small narrow slice of kids and then 
just push out the rest because uh, it's inconvenient. And that's been happening for a long time. I'm not sure DeVos really changed it that much. Um, maybe she didn't help for, for sure, but <laughs> I, I, think this problem goes, I think this problem goes deeper and it goes further back in history for all disenfranchised groups. And, you know, it, with IDEA that, you know, it, it started out as a different, there was a disabilities act and then that morphed into IDEA eventually, but uh, you know, disabled kids weren't even legally, did, they didn't even have to legally take disabled kids until I believe 1972. That was the year I was born. So, you know, that's not that long ago that they didn't, weren't, didn't even have a right to come into the building. Um, so, you know, we've got a long way to go to to have them seen as as worth educating. And I think that's the problem is they don't see them as worth educating or they cost too much, you know, and the funding is, mm, I don't know. I've seen too much evidence that funding is not the problem. <laughs> yeah, funding is definitely <laughs> the problem. Um, so yeah. next question and then we'll close out. Uh, yes, um, I would say not because my from my particular point of view obviously she has it's very, become very clear and i had receipts and you know we from years ago we kept our receipts um she had used slurs against disabled kids she had expressed she she tried to backpedal it but you you know she showed us who she was um she doesn't you know she's one of those people that just doesn't think disabled kids are worth educating they're just a burden and uh, she made that pretty pretty clear. And not just in her words in this one moment, it was her actions from there on. Uh, the COPAA and uh, uh, National Center for Learning Disabilities and CLD.org, amongst other uh, disability advocate groups, co-signed a paper and sent it to Biden's uh, uh, transition team to tell them, you know, say no to Lily because, and then, they brought out things that I didn't even have receipts for. <clears throat> She'd been fighting against the efforts made to reduce or ban seclusion and restraint, the, the abusive stuff. Um, so she was fighting against that. So she was fighting to, you know, and if you see some of these videos, you're thinking seclusion and restraint is just, you know, bear hugging a kid. No, they've got like tasers or shocking kids. It's horrifying. They're strapping them down to chairs. Like an, it looks like an electric chair. It's horrifying. Um, you know, and she was, she was advocating for let's let them keep doing that. Uh, don't change the policies at all. Uh, and she was also advocating for uh, reducing the responsibilities under ESSA and IDEA. So, you know, having destroying some of those rights that people worked very hard to, to put, get put in, into place. And so her actions <clears throat> have very clearly um, not been as a friend to the disability community. Um, that's from my point of view. Then, you know, if you're, if you want choice, she's obviously been very against choice and charters. So she's not even willing to listen. It seems like. Not even willing to listen. I have to point out to my own party. Cause like I'm there to tell my own party to hold up that mirror and say, y'all were all about choice until marginalized groups wanted, wanted in on it. And that is the truth. Yeah. The Democrats have, I, I'm here to see like, we got our own problems we got to face. As soon as marginalized groups started saying, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. We'd like in on that. All of a sudden it was vilified. All of a sudden it was the evil thing that was going to destroy public education. 
And yeah, you go through the history, you'll find that evidence. <laughs> One more. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm I keep going back and forth on this. Is he harmful or is he not harmful? He endorsed Lily. And then the whole storm happened on Twitter. And then he locked his account. <laughs> wait, wait, people <laughs> gotta see me laugh. Ah. <laughs> All right, sorry. I didn't get the receipts on that, but um, yeah, and he's also pretty, I think it seems to me he's pretty anti-choice and not really willing to listen to it. But what I found insulting was people saying that he is a champion of disability rights, but he won't even engage people like myself. He, you know, I hit that follow button because he's locked. He won't accept my follow. And I've interacted with him before he locked. And he basically didn't believe that the system screwed me over. He just believed I didn't work hard enough to fix it. He has no idea what I've been through. You know, I haven't even told you guys. I only got halfway through the story with you guys. You hey, know? we can part two this. You're welcome to come back here anytime. I would you love want to. to. It is an honor. Hey, listen, we, we, we're here for it. So, so, no to, no to him? <clears throat> I, if it wasn't so, so, up to me, I would say no to him. I'm so not here, sure. It sounds to me like he's really in the running, and I'm a little scared about that. So here's the thing. I would, I if, we're, if, we're, if we're choosing between those two, I'd rather him than her. I feel oh, like I'd he's... rather him than Lily. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if I had the dichotomy, you know, or the dichotomy, the uh, ultimatum. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. If I had the ultimatum, um, I would definitely choose him. Um, but I just feel like there's so many people... Um, even people who've been in public education, who are listening to people like us, who are willing to have that that open discussion and not just shut it down and go through the same old, you know, propaganda machine um, that I wish we were considering. But perhaps it is too soon for that. I don't know. I know this. I will never vote for Biden or a Democrat ever again. <laughs> if 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 Lily the teacher is the SEC, I, th I think that would just not be okay. So closing yeah. thoughts on you. Oh, um, <laughs> that's a big open broad category. Like, anything specific? <laughs> anything um, dealing with what we just talked about or whatever's on your mind? Um, yeah, let's keep finding each other. Let's keep joining together and let's keep bridging this gap. Um, whether we're on the left or right, Democrat, Republican, uh, we care a lot about kids. We wouldn't be putting ourselves out there in a way that frankly brings a lot of fire, um, our way, uh, but we're doing it because we know we're fighting for kids to have a better future for that equity that is still sorely lacking. Um, and that that equity is going to make this country a better place. Uh, uh, a well-educated population is a strong population. Uh, and yeah, let's just keep finding each other, lifting each other up, supporting each other as much as we can. Thank you for that. And so in my final thought, I will... So my final thought is to my 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 former friend who I don't think is my friend anymore, uh, Marilyn. I won't say her full name because that's not important. But I miss you, my friend. I feel like we did some good work together. I feel like we can continue to do some good work together. So we need to patch this up, find out where we went wrong, and we need to get back on the right track. 
this is my call to you for us to get back on the right track. Hopefully you're watching this and uh and 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 we will move forward. So you guys have been listening to the Edgy Pierce podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This was an emergency show because we had to get this out here because Jen had a story in and it was definitely worth the time. So thank you. And I'll be back on air tomorrow doing it up. Peace.